Warning, this show may contain adult language that is not suitable for all audiences. This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. This is the TSN MMA Show Interview Edition. Interviews is what we have this week, as we do every week. Great interviews for you to consume. And that is what you shall do, because ignoring a lineup like this would just be a big mistake. The president of the UFC, Dana White, will join us, and he talks about uh, all kinds of different things leading into the pay-per-view UFC 262, previewing that with me, talking about all kinds of different things going on in the world of mixed martial arts, in and around the UFC. Always appreciate the big boss man for taking the time to chat with us before the pay-per-views. It's become uh, something of a tradition, and I appreciate that. So we'll talk to the big boss man about everything going on in the world of mixed martial arts. And we'll also be joined by one of the two headliners for UFC 262. That is Michael Chandler having a second UFC fight before perhaps the most coveted prize in mixed martial arts, the UFC lightweight championship, one of the deepest divisions in the sport, if not the deepest division. He'll be joining us to discuss that. And uh, he's just a great, uh, great storyteller, great speaker. This guy could be a motivational speaker when his career is done. It's just when, uh, when he, when he talks, you listen, he's one of those guys, very charming guy. And uh, I appreciate his time leading up to the biggest fight, perhaps, of his career against Charles Oliveira this weekend. We'll also be joined by Kayla Harrison. Great weekend for her. Uh, I guess it was last week, actually, where she uh, ran through her opponent, Mary- Moriana Morais, I believe was her name, in uh, very, very convincing fashion. And then had you know one of the really strong all-time post-fight interviews, where she basically said, this isn't a tournament, it's a coronation. She's basically had enough of trying to build up her opponents on behalf of her promotion. Instead, she'll just tell it like it is, that she's going to run through them and win a million dollars. Because barring any sort of unforeseen happenings that uh, would come as a real surprise, I think that is what will ultimately play out in the PFL Women's Lightweight Championship. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't watch, because watching uh, Kayla Harrison do her thing is something special. And uh, from there, we'll see what's, what's next for Kayla Harrison. We'll also be joined by Shane Burgos, who was uh, also on this UFC 262 pay-per-view card. Very, very uh, exciting to speak with him. Just had his second daughter, so congrats to the Burgos clan. It's actually the first time his wife will be on the sidelines for this one, at home with the baby and not, uh, not in attendance for this particular event. So uh, always a real pleasure speaking with Shane Burgos. I, uh, I love this guy, love, love his enthusiasm towards the sport, love how much he enjoys the sport as a whole, not just uh, competing in it, but also, uh, you know, being being a part of the sport, being uh, a competitor in the sport and watching the sport. So, real pleasure speaking to Shane Burgos as always. So let's get right to it. We'll start off with the interview with UFC President Dana White, who joins us to preview UFC 262 and talk about everything else going on in the world of mixed martial arts. That begins right now. I'm now joined by UFC President Dana White, UFC 262, taking place in Houston, Texas this weekend. And it features one of my favorite fighters to watch, Charles Oliveira. Now, tell me if you agree with this. Charles Oliveira is the most diverse finisher in UFC history. He can get you from just about anywhere at just about any time, 90% finishing rate. Yeah, no, no I agree. He, he is absolutely fun to watch, been on a tear, and is finally getting his, his shot at, at, at a world title. Michael Chandler, his opponent, I spoke to him last week, and I asked him if he thought he would get to this stage so soon, the lightweight championship of the world. I think probably the, the biggest prize in mixed martial arts, considering the depth of the, of the division. What do you think? Do you think that he got here quicker than you would have thought? Yeah. You know, I was just talking about him earlier. When, uh, when, when we were getting ready to sign him, I was literally sitting on the runway getting ready to take off. And my lawyer called me and said, we're on the one-yard line with this kid or whatever. Well, you just get on the phone and talk to him. I talked to him for five minutes. The nicest kid in the world, great attitude, wanted nothing more than to be in the UFC and fight for a, a UFC world title. I called, I called Hunter back and I said, I don't care what, what he wants. Get, get it done. Give him whatever he wants. Sign this kid. I love him. Comes in, willing to fight anybody, willing to go anywhere and do anything. Um, we'll be the backup. We'll do this. We'll do that. And, and you know, that, that type of attitude and the type of fight that he fought against Hooker got him to where he is right now. You know, it's funny. A lot of fighters will put on a bit of a persona to get to where they need to be and to, to get the fans on their side. He has an authenticity that you rarely see with some fighters. He's such a great guy. 
nice kid, totally, uh, you know, you don't have to play all these games and do all this stuff. You can be a nice guy and still win. Now, where this is going to be his second UFC fight, I believe this is Charles Oliveira's 27th fight. If he wins, he'll, it'll have taken him more UFC fights to become a champion than anyone else in UFC history. That includes Bisping, guys of that nature. What do you think has been the key for him to turn yeah, it around, to get the consistency? That's it. You just said it. I mean, it was consistency. I mean, this guy has consistently won, consistently uh, came in and did his thing. You know, not everybody comes out and is a breakthrough star and, you know, rises to the top immediately. Some guys have to take time, grind it out. And then if you're talented enough and everything goes your way, you know, you can get there. I mean, Chuck Liddell was one of those guys. Chuck, Chuck didn't have this just, you know, meteoric rise to the top. And I mean, when we first got involved uh, and bought the UFC, the, the old UFC didn't even want Chuck Liddell in the UFC. So, um not everybody's path is the same, and, and Charles finally got here. You said it as you opened up the question. Consistency is what got him here. Do you think it was the striking catching up to the grappling? The grappling was ever in question. He's got the most submissions in UFC history, but the, the striking, if you look at him in that Ferguson fight, it, it just elevated to a new level. Yeah, um, and, and, and once he got that, too, he started to become more dominant, you know? Um, uh, you know, and, and you, that division is nasty. I mean, a nasty division. There's so many killers that you got to get through just to break into the top five. Forget about getting a title shot. Breaking into the top five is, is, is almost impossible. Now, a report came out today about the upcoming card that uh, Jack Hermanson against Edmund Shabazian is no longer on the card. What ended up happening? And uh, I believe it's being postponed till next week. Yeah, so uh, I think Hermanson and his crew ended up with COVID, tested positive with COVID. So, you know, we're still dealing with Lots of craziness, but you know, this last card was literally cursed uh, this this last weekend. And uh, you know, let me tell you what this is this is tough to do. You know, what we're still in, you know, if we're still in a pandemic, if you would still call it, you know, a, a global pandemic. Still, I don't know where we're at to be honest with you, but you know, it's 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 still tough to run your business, especially you know if you're putting on live sporting events. So is that going to be next weekend then? Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, one thing I tweeted out earlier today about this card that I love is that the biggest favorite on this weekend's card is a minus 210 favorite. Like, these are such closely lined fights and competitive fights. Is this something that's unique to the UFC in terms of combat sports? You look at boxing, there are guys that are minus 32,000. Uh, and a lot of these other promotions that uh, are your competing promotions have these kind of squash fights, I would call them. Guys that are eight, minus 800, minus 900. The UFC, and this, especially in this weekend's case, such closely competitive fights. Listen, I say this all the time. Um, some of these fights that are going on out there, there's a market for it. People, people, some people want to see this. Shit. They want to spend money and, and, and watch it. The business that I'm in, we find the absolute best in the world and the best face the best to find out who, who climbs up the ladder, who breaks into the top 10, top five, and who can become a world champion. That's that's the business that we're in. That's what we do. That's why, you know, for 20 years, when you stay home on Saturday night and you put down your money, you know you're going to get the absolute best competitive fight that you can see. And, uh, you know, my, my big thing is when you stay home on Saturday, I want you to turn that television off and be happy that you stayed home and watched the fights. So we are always trying to find the best, sign the best, and put on the best possible fights that we can. Another thing about it is when the UFC have these fights that have these, these big lines, look at Maria Agapova against Shanna Dobson last year. Shanna Dobson was like a nine, plus 900 underdog, and she wins that fight, right? So a lot of these right. fights, it just goes to show that the level of competition is so high that even when somebody's expected to win, oftentimes they don't. This isn't boxing where you need to pad your record. Absolutely right. Couldn't have said it better myself, brother. Now... One other thing I want to talk about is next weekend. You've got Felicia Spencer uh, against Danielle Wolf. I believe it's the last women's featherweight fight that's on the schedule for the foreseeable future. What's the status of that uh, particular division? Yeah, I don't know. We're still we're still goofing around with that division, you know, trying to see what what the goat wants to do. You know, Amanda Nunes. Um, that's what we're doing. 
And one name that stands out to me, I don't know if you're allowed to talk about fighters signed to other promotions, but Kayla Harrison this past weekend looked uh, absolutely dynamite. Her contract expires with the PFL at the end of this season. Is that somebody who you think could be brought in to finally find somebody in the 135, 145 weight class that has really that star power behind them that can compete with Amanda, even though they're teammates? I don't know if she's ready. I mean, when she feels like she's ready, I mean, don't, I'm always looking for the best possible people to come in and fight. Um, if you don't think that we've offered for her to come over, I, I just don't know if her people think she's ready yet. It's a whole nother level when you get here. Well, Amanda Nunes is a whole nother, another level in and of herself. Uh, this Amanda, kind of... Jermaine, Holly, Aspen Ladd. I mean, you, you look at that whole, uh, you know, you got Juliana Pena. The list goes on and on. So it's 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 a lot tougher when you come over here. So I don't know if they think she's ready or not yet, but we'll find out. Now, I know you don't pick favorites when it comes to these fighters, but you do have certain fighters that are closer to your heart. And one of them this past weekend, Donald Cerrone, unfortunately, has fallen to 0-5 uh, with one no contest in his last six. Uh, he says he wants to continue fighting. He doesn't want his legacy to end this way. Uh, what's your take on Cowboy uh, from where you stand right now? Yeah, so Cowboy, um, again, steps up. You know, uh, Diego falls out of the fight. He steps up and, um, and, 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 and takes a last-minute replacement co-main event he what he wants to do he accepted the Diego fight because they both said they would fight at 170 you know um he wants to move down to 55 and get another fight and, and I'm going to let him do that do you think this could be the last one if he's not successful this time around or are you going to wait and see yes yes now, again, you don't often have favorites, but another group of people that you have as favorites is the aforementioned Diego Sanchez, a tough one uh, winner. Now, yep. a, a really disturbing video just came out of his coach basically having him hanged like a heavy bag and, and hitting him in the head. Now, I, I know that you gave him his show and win money, money for this last fight, uh, and he's no longer with the promotion, but is there anything that you can do to get this guy to maybe th think twice about his company, so to speak, who he keeps in his company? Yeah, unfortunately, you know, all, all these guys and girls are grown men and women and can do whatever they want, and all of us. I mean, everybody, there's all these paths that we can choose to walk down in life, and, and, and Diego has chosen this path, and, and uh, you know, I wish him luck. And what's your reaction when you see somebody release, I guess, inside videos, videos from behind the scenes with broadcaster meetings with Hunter Campbell on the phone, I, I imagine that probably doesn't sit well with you, if, you know, regardless of who does that, something like that. Yeah, I, 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 you know, the thing that baffles me even more is that do they think that those videos make us look bad or them? I, 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 I don't know. Listen, the whole, the whole thing is nutty. The whole, I've been in this game for a very, very long time, and I've seen this movie, and I know how this movie ends, and uh, it's actually a sad story. So, um but he's a grown, he's a grown man. He can do whatever he wants to do. He's he's free, like they put it. He can do whatever he wants to do. They can say whatever they want to say, and you know, good luck to him. This 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 type of stuff. I've been dealing with this my whole career. You know, um, none of this stuff bothers me. I, I don't care. Um, you know, it, it's unfortunate. You know, I I, I always like Diego. Um, Diego says I, 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 he's been trying to talk to Diego could pick up the phone, talk to me whenever he wanted to, when he wanted to text me, he would text me. Um, we did have that incident where they were claiming they got left at the airport. As soon as I found out that happened, I called, I apologized to him up and down. And, uh, you know, he, he knows, he knows what's going on. He knows what the deal is, but, um, as far as that other guy, I don't even know him. I've never met him. I don't know any. Apparently, he knows a lot of things about me, but I don't know anything about him. Um, yeah. That's it. <laughs> well, your, your partner on Dana White uh, looking for a fight, Matt Sarah met him at one point. I mean, you can find out about that interaction. Uh, John Jones, uh, right now, I guess, has parted ways with his manager. This is apparently his old news, but it just kind of surfaced recently. Do you, would you advise him to get a manager? I, I know that negotiations with him don't seem to be going all that well. What advice would you give to John if, if he does want to get into uh, the top of the heavyweight division and fight Francis Ngannou for the title? Whether John has a manager or not, 
John is going to do what John wants to do. So um, it's probably something that, that, that John needs to work out. You know, I, I know that, that uh, you know, him, him and Hunter have a good relationship. So I think those guys are going to get together soon and talk. Well, that's Listen, good. We, uh, you ask, you look at the last however many years, people ask me who I think the best ever is, and I say John Jones. You know, John Jones is a massive part of the history of this company. Um, he's one of the one of the best ever. Where, where, where you stand, whether you think it's you know him, Anderson, Habib, GSP, whatever, whatever, wherever you stand on that, you know he, he's he's one of the best of all time. And uh, obviously, there's still some big fights that can be made with him. We would love to do it. Um, you know, it's not like we can't get something done over here. But, but further, it's up to John. further to that, has Naganu versus Lewis the rematch been booked yet, or is it are still things still kind of up in the air for the heavyweight division? <coughs> no, we're 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 working on that fight. That fight's going to happen this summer. The bantamweight division right now. Aljamain Sterling recently went and got neck surgery. I don't know if he's going to be able to fight for the rest of the year. Are you guys looking to do an interim title, or are you waiting to see how his recovery time comes out? Um, I, I don't know off the top of my head on that one. All right, and uh, two more quick questions. You obviously have fans for this weekend. You have them for 261. UFC fight nights, I guess you guys have uh, applied to have them at the Apex going forward. When do you think we're going to start seeing fight nights in front of a live crowd, I guess sold-out live arenas once again? Yeah, well, here's the thing. The fight nights, I mean... We're doing fights every single weekend, um, and we're doing Ultimate Fighter fights right now. The Contender Series starts again. So until more places open up 100%, I'm not going anywhere that isn't 100%. It's just easier on, on, on everybody right now to keep doing these at the Apex until the world opens up. Then we'll start moving it around again. And is a lot of it cost prohibitive as well? I mean, you can only have the tickets a certain amount compared to a pay-per-view. You have to pay for uh, all of these different screening processes for uh, uh, COVID. Is that another reason why the you know fight nights at the, the Apex make so much sense? Well, yeah, but the other thing is, I mean, how many times am I going to go to Florida, Texas, and, <laughs> and Arizona? You know what I mean? I mean, I'd have, to, I'd have to be going to one of those places every weekend somewhere in Florida. It just, right now, it makes sense to stay home. And that's a great segue for my last question. There's no uh, venue yet for August. You're all the way booked uh, in terms of live crowds for pay-per-views uh, through August. Have you heard any news about other states that are looking to go 100% that you're thinking of visiting, or is that just too far away from now to, to think about? Yeah, it's too far. Um, and, and, you know, I was just talking to BT Sport in England. You know, they're, they're like, when are you going to start traveling over here and over there? I, I don't know, man. We're, we're, we're waiting for these travel restrictions to open up. Um, you know, I can't wait to do a huge fight in the UK. I can't wait to do a huge fight. You know, we're talking about Africa. Um, and God knows when Canada will ever open up again. You know what I mean? So I got a good little good little thing going over here at the Apex. So we'll keep doing this until, uh, until the world looks different. Yeah, I don't care if you have a doctor, an epidemiologist, or a psychic on staff. I don't think anybody really knows when these things are going to start opening up just yet. So we can't look too far down the road. But we can look this far this weekend. Houston, Texas, a, a wonderful city. You got a UFC 262 there. Oliveira versus Chandler. Really looking forward to this one. Oliveira, just a joy to watch. One of my favorites to watch of all time. And, of course, Chandler, we've, we've seen his resume. Uh, really looking forward to that one. And thank you so much for your time. Thank you, buddy. Michael Chandler, pretty new to the UFC, not new to MMA, and as a result, lightweight championship on the line, UFC 262 against Charles Oliveira. When you look at Charles, this is a guy who's got a lot of different weapons. Is he unique in comparison to the different fighters you've fought in the past? I think he's very unique. Um, obviously, he has a wealth of knowledge, a wealth of experience, uh, one of the longest active win streaks in, in the UFC right now, maybe the most longest uh, active win streak. Um, submission win most submission wins in UFC history the guy is slick on the ground he is he is ever improving in the striking game he's got a great record to boot a ton of experience inside that UFC octagon a ton more than I have so uh it's a tough test it's a tall order and uh I love the challenge I'm excited for May 15th I'm excited to go um showcase my skills and and try to try my hand at winning the UFC title let me know if you agree with the statement. Charles Oliveira has more ways to win a fight than anybody else in your division. Um, 
Yeah, probably. I think, uh, you know, not only, not only does he have the most submission wins in the UFC history, but the diversity of his attacks, uh, is indicative of, of holding that title of a guy who's got a ton to a ton of different ways to win. I think he's got, um, 14 submissions, but I think he's got six or seven or eight different ways that he has submitted people. So when you're that well-versed on the ground, you're dangerous in, in all of those positions. And he's, he's finished guys standing. He's finished guys on the ground. He's knocked guys out. So, um, you know, it's the beautiful thing is you got to embrace the uncertainty that's about to ensue. That's about to happen inside of that UFC octagon. You're tied onto a tornado. Um, you got to You got to be calculated, but you also sometimes just have to throw caution to the wind and realize, Hey, if it's not your night, it's not your night, but I'm going out there to win. I'm going to put my best foot forward. I'm going to, I'm going to make him feel my pressure and my presence from the first exchange, get him back on his heels and make him second guess whether or not he can win that fight within the first couple of minutes of the fight. And one of the great things about training at Sanford MMA is you've got so many bodies in there, but two people in particular stand out to me and they're not in your weight class, but uh, Gilbert Burns and Vicente Luque. I feel like they could give you a lot of looks that are similar to what Charles is going to give you. Have you worked with them uh, going into this fight? Not Vicente because Vicente has been out of town. Um, but yeah, Gilbert, obviously Gilbert um, is one of the best grapplers on the planet, Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt and uh, a ton of submission wins himself. Plus, a, a ton of knockouts. You know, he, he's the guy who's, he's the guy who's even more dangerous with his striking than he is, his, is his grappling. But um, yeah, we got a ton of great, ton of great bodies down at Sanford MMA. Wagner Rocha runs our jujitsu program. He's, he's running our jujitsu, our fight minded jujitsu program that we have at Sanford MMA working with Gilbert Burns, Herbert Burns, um, teammates with Nick Lentz, who, who fought Charles Oliveira a couple times, teammates with Jared Gordon, who fought Charles Oliveira. So all of this is great insight and great study to, uh, to be able to put together a game plan, what works, what doesn't work, what um, ways that we can, we can ex expose Charles Oliveira and his strengths and weaknesses. And I believe I'm the better athlete. I believe I'm the better fighter. I believe I put together a great training camp, put together a great uh, game plan. And I believe I'm going to come out the victor May 15th. But there's no doubt that every single moment inside the UFC octagon with Charles Oliveira is a dangerous one. And you have to be cautious in, in certain areas with him. But we're going to go out there and try to get that win, get our hand raised. Yeah, you mentioned Nick Lentz. I don't think anybody's had more cage time with Charles Oliveira than Nick Lentz. I think they've had a trilogy, right? Three, four, three fights? Yep. Yeah, they fought three different times. Uh, I know there was a couple different couple different uh, weird things that happened. One was maybe a no contest or, or a eye poke or a eye stoppage or something like that. But um, yeah, they fought three different times. So obviously he prepared three different times. And the great thing also that one of the intangibles that we forget about too is Kami Barzini, my MMA and wrestling coach, has been coaching Nick Lentz and coached Nick Lentz for all three of those fights as well. So not only do you have the fighter who shared the octagon with Charles Oliveira, but you also have the coach who prepared his fighter against Charles Oliveira three different times and the, and the coach who watched those fights octagon side to be able to see the different habits, tendencies and things. Cause you know, you always get done with the fight and you always think woulda, shoulda, coulda, what could I have done better? They've done that three different times against Charles Oliveira and they've been able to download all that. And then I've consulted with them about all that. And I believe I've got the game plan and the recipe to go out there and win that UFC title. One thing that stood out to me about a, an interview that I watched that you did, I guess I watched it earlier today, you talked about how when you were in high school, you were given lots of full-ride offers to D2 and D3 schools, but you chose to walk on with Mizzou because you, you wanted to basically prove to yourself that you could do it and you didn't want to have any regrets after your athletic uh, amateur career that uh, you know what, maybe I could have won a national championship at the D1 level versus D2. Was that the same mindset you had when you decided to join the UFC. I know Bellator pays their fighters really well. Of course, so does the UFC, but you could have stayed comfortable, you know, in Bellator, been one of their best fighters, been one of the faces of that brand. But was that the reason why the UFC was so appealing to you? Yeah, I think truly I thought about the 40 year old me laying my head on a, on a, on my pillow and that pillow feeling like a 40 pound sandpaper cinder block. And I can't sleep at night because I never tested myself against the guys in the UFC. And truthfully, back when I was 18 years old and I had to make that decision, I had offers to, to the Division II, Division III NAIA schools. But I, I put myself in the future and I thought about myself at, at that time, 22 years old, graduating college, and 
thinking, man, okay, I won a, I won a national title at Division Two. I won a national title at, at, at AIA. That's all great. But what if, what would have happened if I would have went to Mizzou, if I would have wrestled Division One at the highest level of, of college wrestling? And I thank God that I had that vision and had that notion because because I walked onto the University of Missouri, I am the man that I am today, the fighter I am today, the husband, the father, and the competitor that I am today because I made that decision. And then now you fast forward 12 years in my fight career, I'm fighting for the UFC title, and I've had setbacks, but those setbacks don't scare me because I know, A, what it feels like to lose, and B, what it feels like to be the bottom, at the bottom of the barrel, the lowest guy on the totem pole. When I walked onto the University of Missouri, I was not, an, I was not a, a state champion coming out of high school. I was not recruited, and I was the lowest guy on the total pole. But because I showed up early, I stayed late, I put my best foot forward, I was the guy who said yes with my work boots on at all times. I got noticed by the coaches. They started giving me a little bit more attention, and then I became a Division One All-American. And I'll take a one-time Division One All-American status over a four-time not Division One. uh national champion at the division two or division three level. And I'll take this UFC title over any other title that I've ever had in, in my past. And I just, thank God I had that vision of me laying on, on that cinder block for the rest of my life, wondering what if, because I walked on essentially to the UFC where, when I left the relative security of being the face of a promotion and the, the big fish in a small pond, I walked on to the UFC, took a chance on myself, kicked down the door, made myself known on January 23rd, now I'm being rewarded for it, and I'm about to be the UFC champion on May 15th. Now, what interests me so much about that is when you were in Bellator, I'm sure you had you were either a free agent or had the potential to become a free agent a lot earlier. Did you have that conversation with yourself years in advance of you joining the UFC? I think every time my, my Bellator contract came up for renegotiation, I had that thought. But it wasn't, it wasn't this clear vision. Like when I say I thought about oh, on the surface level, well, what would it be like someday if I never signed with the UFC, will I regret it? And I never really gave much thought to it. But I had this clear vision of that cinder block and my head on that cinder block for the rest of my life for some reason as this last Bellator contract ended, as I, as I started to realize the door to go to the UFC wasn't just creak, cracked open. It wasn't just a little bit of daylight going through. It was wide open, and it was 100%, 100% revealed to me, and, and, and I was 100% certain that that was the direction that God, was, that, that God wanted me to head in. And I think it's a testament to patience. It's a testament to making the right decision at the right time. And um, I think I did it at the exact right time. I think I just turned 35 years old. I don't feel a day over 25. I feel like I'm, I'm the happiest, healthiest, and hardest to kill that I've ever been. And my performances will be indicative of that. And uh, I'm just glad I, I had that vision at the right time. I'm glad I had the vision in the first place. And I'm glad I've now had one fight under my belt. I got one finish under my belt in the, in the UFC. And now I'm going to get a literal belt, a championship belt on May 15th. When you were younger in high school and you were making that decision to go to Mizzou instead of going to a D2 or D3 or AIA school, one thing that you had also mentioned in an interview I heard you uh, talk about was kind of a culture of complacency where you grew up, where people weren't really striving to, to become the best. They wanted to be comfortable. How did you overcome that? And do you feel like by overcoming that, you're sending a message to a lot of other youth right now in that area that they can also achieve that kind of thing? Yeah, I, I think where I came from, like I said, I was a small guy from a small town who was taught to do small things. There was a lot of, there was a, a an overwhelming, overarching thread that outside of those county lines, there's a lot of bad people outside those county lines. The, the likelihood of you falling flat on your face, face and failing in your endeavors are just way too high to take the risk. And for some reason, inside my heart, I wanted to take the risk. For some reason, inside my heart, I knew, I heard the things that people were saying about people outside the county lines or people in California, Hollywood and New York and, and all of these big cities. I heard those things, but I thought, man, I believe God created good people. I believe there's a lot of great people out there doing some really great things. And thank God, truthfully, one of the catalysts was me walking on to the University of Missouri and being surrounded by our, our team orthopedic surgeon. His name is Bus Tarbox. He ran a Bible study. And I saw the way that he made ridiculous amounts of money as an orthopedic surgeon, yet 
he served the people in his community. He loved his daughters. He loved his wife. He served his wife. He led at the church. He did some really amazing things. So I think the the cognitive dissonance of believing, trying trying not to believe the things that the people around me were saying, but also striving for more. And then when I made those decisions, they just started compounding on themselves. And then you have the interaction with Buff Tarbox. And then I have the inter- a lot of interactions with my college coaches. And then also getting outside of, of High Ridge, Missouri and, and rooming, room, having a roommate uh, who was from North Carolina, having roommates for, who are from California, having roommates from all over the country. And it just starts to open your mind to this world is your oyster if you so choose. Um, so I was able to overcome that small guy from a small town mentality just through – hard work and just little bits of incremental success. And trust me, I sabotage myself a ton. That little guy from that little town who was taught to do little things is still in here. Unfortunately, he's still in here. And if I don't keep him at bay um, every single day, he will rear his head. And I think you never slay that dragon. I think you never really get rid. I think I'll never get rid of that little guy from that little town who was taught to do little things, but I have gotten really good at pushing him into a corner and I've gotten really good at duct taping him to the, to the basement of my mind with a big old roll of duct tape around his mouth so that he doesn't come out and rear his head and tell me the lies that he has over the, the past couple decades. And now he has been silent as a church mouse for, for, for the last couple of years um, and definitely as silent as a church mouse since I signed with the UFC. And I believe he will stay silent when I win that UFC title and continue to move forward. So I just encourage anybody who, who shares that similar story that you are not you are not restricted to the confines of your family tree, of the glass ceilings, of the limits that people around you put on you. You were created for greatness and you were engineered for success and you were designed to do great things in this, in this life. And I'm a testament to that. My career is a blueprint for it. And I by no means am a, am a perfect human being. I'm a, I'm a work in progress just like everybody else. But I will become a champion because I've changed my mind. I might clip 10 seconds of that and watch it every morning, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> one thing you said to me in our last interview, and it's not unique to our interviews, it's something you say all the time, is I'll see you at the top. You said it at the end of our interview. That was less than four months ago. Did you expect that we might see each other at the top this soon? Because this is your second UFC fight, and while the heavyweight championship is considered the baddest man on the planet, I think in MMA, the lightweight championship is truly the top. It's the deepest division uh, across MMA. Did you expect to be at the top this soon? Yeah, uh, well, first and foremost, a big hat tip to the late Zig Ziglar. He coined the phrase, see you at the top. He wrote a book. I suggest everybody reads it called See You at the Top. Uh, one of the greatest motivators and communicators on the planet, and he is who I stole it from. Um, but I do believe, yeah, I think the baddest man on the planet who could, who could separate anybody in the world from consciousness is that heavyweight champion, Francis Ngannou. But I do also believe that the lightweight division is the most exciting, most, electrify, most electrifying division on the planet. And I'm extremely excited to not just be a part of it, but to kick down the door to the party, make myself known as of January 23rd, now win the title on May 15th and become the face of it, the number one guy of the lightweight division inside the UFC. And no, to answer that question, I did not think it would happen this quickly. I by no means asked for it. I didn't come into the UFC asking for title shots. I said, hey, just give me a shot against a top five opponent. So not just so I can have uh, the opportunity to be in the top five. I wanted to either prove myself right or prove myself wrong to all the people that I've been telling that I'm one of the best lightweights on the planet. I could have very easily went out there, lost to Dan Hooker, and everybody would have said, yep, the B-leaguer, outsider, dark horse, he was overrated, just like we said, right? Um, but fortunately for me, it didn't work out that way. Now I'm number four in the world. On May 15th, I will become number one in the world. It happened quicker than I thought, but um, – you want to hear God laugh, just tell him your plans, right? So here, here we are fighting for the title, and I can't wait to be the, get that gold belt wrapped around my waist on May 15th, and uh, it's going to be a great night. Well, in the worlds of Zig Ziglar and more recently Michael Chandler, I'll see you at the top this Saturday. Yourself, uh, Charles Oliveira will be at the top for UFC 262. One of them will stay at the top at the end of the night. Could be yourself. Appreciate your time. Thanks for this. Yes, sir. I'll see you at the top, Aaron. Thank you. I'm now joined by the baddest woman in the room, or any room, Kayla Harrison. <laughs> Great win uh, last week against Mariana Marais. Uh, first uh, peg on the lightweight board, I guess, so to speak, for the uh, tournament this year. 
Um, what did it feel like getting back in there uh, after, I guess, a couple months away? Yeah, I felt good. Um, that was probably the first time in my career where I saw openings for submissions and saw maybe an easier path, and I didn't take it just because I was. it felt too good to be hitting someone. So I said, no, the ref's going to have to pull me off of her because um, I'm going to get this frustration out. <laughs> Well, we talked before you uh, went down that a lot of the frustration stemmed from having to go to the bubble with two children. <laughs> How did that work out? Yeah, it actually ended up being okay. Um, I wouldn't recommend, you know, do, do not recommend doing that with kids ever. But, you know, like, it's crazy how your mindset changes and everything is so much better when you win, right? Like, I won. They're healthy. Everything's okay. We move on to the next. And now I guess you're on vacation. Do you, are, you, are you there with them? No. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Kayla Harrison vacation. They're on their own now. <laughs> You've got someone watching them, I guess, back at home? I don't know where they are. <laughs> no, my mom came down, so they're going to be with her. Just I'm literally, it's just like a two-day little, like, and then I'm going to be home. So I already FaceTimed them this morning because I was, like, nervous. I was like, She's not going to be able to, she's going to forget to give her her vitamin or whatever. And But they actually did okay without me. I got to stop being such a control freak. <laughs> All right. Well, that's good that you get some time to decompress, especially after being in the bubble with them for some time. Now, Rory McDonald did an interview recently with Ariel Hawani and said the next bubble is going to be only 12 days. So is that a relief for you? I mean, I guess, yeah. I still don't, uh, we'll see. We'll see. I had a long talk with the CEO and um, I just voiced some of my concerns. So hopefully things get done. Well, with the vaccine rollout going so well in the U.S., it does seem like a 17 day bubble is a little bit excessive at this point in I, time. I agree. So what did the CEO have to say about about uh, the situation and why they decided to implement such a strict bubble? Um, he just said that. Uh, you know, they were doing the best they could. They didn't have any COVID cases, so that this proves it works. And I said, um, yes, to a degree, but I would argue that, you know, the health and welfare of your fighters should be number one. Um, you call yourself the professional fighters league, you know, and you're supposed to be about the fighters. So let's get back to doing that, shall we? Um, but we had a good conversation about it. So I'm, I'm uh, eager to see what changes he makes and if he implements or listens to anything any of the feedback that I had to give him, um, hopefully he does. And then we have a, you know, then I have nothing to complain about and life is good. Well, one of the things I guess that happened was the PFL, because they didn't have a season last year, had a lot of time to prepare for the best way to react to yeah. COVID. But then by the time the events started coming back, you know, a lot of the cases had gone down and vaccines had been rolled out and all that, which they might not yeah. have taken into account. Yeah, no, I was very surprised. I told him, I said, you know, we had a whole year of no fighting. You know, we literally fighters don't have food on their table and this is the best you could come up with. So I was a little upset. Um, a little, I guess, is an understatement, but he's assured me that changes are being made and um, it's going to be a lot better the second second time around. So well, I referenced it off the top, your, uh, your post-fight speech. Did you have that? you know, sorted out in your mind beforehand or was it just how you were feeling at that moment? Um, no, I mean, I had, I had been thinking a lot about, um, kind of just speaking my truth and if I wanted to do it or not. Um, and I just decided, yeah, I do. I want to tell, I want to tell the truth. Well, what I guess changed from last season to this season is, you know, now that you've won the previous season, uh, I think that you were really trying to build up your opponents last time mm -hmm. around. But this time mm -hmm. around, I, feel, I don't think you're about that anymore. I think you're just about showing just how dominant you are. And uh, they're just a couple, I guess, speed bumps uh, on your way to another million dollars. Yeah, I mean, I think that, listen, last year when, um, or 2000, whenever Cyborg was a free agent, I pushed PFL. I pushed her them so hard to sign her. Um I, I pushed them to sign tough competition and, and to level up my game and, and to level up the weight classes game. Um, but that's not my job. My job is to go out there and win and, and kick ass and that's it. 
So from now on, that's what I'm going to do. You know who it is. With this this particular season, um, when you, when you look at the different competition, uh, Pacheco made a good statement. Do do you still think she's the person to beat in terms of the tournament this year? Yeah, I do. I think um, I think she doesn't get enough credit. I think she's probably one of the top. Um, featherweights and above in the world, you know, I think it's Amanda, Cyborg, um, myself, and I think she's right up there. I think she's really tough. She'd give those girls a hard time. She'd probably beat every other featherweight that I can think of. Um, so yeah, I expect it to be us again, for sure. Now, the big question I have for you is when you start talking in the way that you're talking after your last fight, and you said, you know, it's not a tournament, it's a coronation. How do you remain motivated to be on top of things and make sure that you don't get complacent? You don't you don't take your opponents a little bit lightly. I, I'm sure there are a couple in this tournament you have not been in there with. But um, how do you remain motivated and, and not get ahead of yourself? I'm not motivated by outside sources. I'm not motivated by um, seeing a girl who might scare me across the cage from me doesn't motivate me. I'm motivated by an internal desire to be the best. So every single person who steps in that cage across from me is in my way to doing that. So I don't need them to be motivating. I'm motivated for my own greatness. That's it. Clarissa Shields made an appearance on the broadcast. Did you happen to run into her uh, on the premise? Yeah. yeah. I'm guessing you guys didn't go for tea and talk about your Olympic experiences, but what was your conversation like? Yeah, we talked about, um, I asked, you know, just, we just caught up. I mean, I have no problems with Clarissa. I, I asked her how her training's been going, told her I'd be watching. We just, um, I reminisced about my debut in MMA and told her how I felt about it and during it and how scared I was. And it was a good conversation. Yes, it's, it's interesting because they signed her to be your adversary, I would say. But because she's, I guess, nowhere near um, as far in her development as a, as a mixed martial artist as you are, your paths may never even cross. Who knows? Yeah, I yeah, for sure. I think, um, no, it's going to be tough for us to be adversaries anyways. Like, <laughs> I think we both have a lot of respect for each other. And um, she's definitely very green in her MMA career. And I'm, you know... Who knows what's going to happen after this season? So we'll see. Um, but I think it, either way is a great business move for her and for PFL. You mentioned that, and you talked about Cyborg a little bit earlier. You trained with Amanda Nunes, so you know Amanda. You are co you guys were both Olympians. You and Clarissa. Is that why signing Cyborg was really important to you? Because you don't really have any real attachment to her. Um, I mean, listen, like I don't have any attachment to anyone. I'm not here to make friends. Um, but I think that she makes the most sense, obviously, as a as a adversary, just because she is one of the greatest. Um, she doesn't train at my gym. We're not friends. Like, I'm friends with Amanda. I'm friends with Clarissa. So we're not friends. And I think it would be a great fight. Yeah. So I guess at the end of this year, you're going to weigh all your options. But is Bellator an option? I mean, with Cyborg in Bellator, is that is that a fight that you really um, would be highly sought after for you? I mean, they're all options at this point. You know, I don't have, um, you know, this is my last season with PFL under contract. And then I'll be, um, unless, we'll see what happens, you know. But I I have to get through the season first um, before I start talking about all this other stuff. But anything's possible. I'm guessing you have your date for your next fight because it's a tournament style. But do you know who your next opponent is? I don't, I don't know my next opponent. Um I told them I prefer somebody who had won so that we could um, just, I think it's better that I fight someone who has, who's winning, you know, don't need, I, it doesn't matter who I fight. I'll fight all of these girls on the same night. It doesn't matter. Do you know how the PFL determines who the next opponents are going to be? Do they just have a matchmaker meeting? It's not based on ranking or points or anything? I, yeah, I think it should be based on rank, but I'm not certain to be honest. I know like the sem the semifinals, like, the points matter, but I don't think for the second fight of the season, the points matter. Is there one matchup that's more intriguing to you than the other ones? Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, you'll be the baddest woman in the room anyways, right? So, I mean, that doesn't really make a difference. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, Kayla. Well, it's always great catching up with you. Enjoy the rest of your vacation and, uh, you know, decompress a little bit and looking forward to seeing uh, what's next. So what is the date of your next fight? Just so, so we have that uh, knowledge. June 25th. June 25th. Mark it on the calendar. All right. Thanks so much. Appreciate your time. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Yes. Sounds good. Thank you. He is Hurricane Shane Burgos, and he's in what I consider to be the people's main event of the UFC 262. If you've got the main being Chandler and Oliveira, the co-main Tony and Benil Dariush, I think this is probably the most exciting fight on the card. Would you agree? Is this the the people's main event? You might be a little biased. Maybe being a little biased, but I'm I'm a huge fan of the sport too, and I'm really excited for that that Benil fight. I'm super stoked to see Chandler win that bill. Uh, you're probably always excited to watch Edson Barboza fight. This time you're across yeah. the cage from him. What, what, what do you think that's going to be like when you're in there with him? Uh, it's, gonna, it, it's a little surreal at first, but the weigh-ins is when, when uh, that'll, uh, that'll subside when we square off and when we're face-to-face with each other. Uh, but nothing but respect. I've seen him a couple times around the hotel. He's cool. we got no animosity. We know exactly what we're going to go out there and do on Saturday night, and we'll, we'll save the fight for Saturday night. It's almost like a gentleman's agreement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we've seen Edson have problems with pressure fighters, guys like yourself that like to walk forward and aren't afraid to, to, to I guess, take one to give one. Do you think yeah. that that's going to be what ends up happening in this fight? Exactly. Exactly. It's pretty It's pretty cut and dry. He wants to keep distance and uh, have room for his kicks and stuff like that. It's pretty cut and dry that I like to pressure and I like to come forward. And I think that stylistically the, the, this, this matchup favors me. Distance doesn't bother you either, though. I mean, you've got a pretty long jab, a pretty long yeah. straight, and you've used that to your, uh, to your advantage. That's, that's a fact. When I fought Cubs once and I fought a little bit different, I didn't pressure as much when I fought Cubs once and I stayed on the outside and, and picked the puff on the outside. I can do both. That's the thing. I, I got to make sure that I that I don't stick to one thing where I'm just dead set on just pressure because that's what you're known for, pressure. No, fuck that. You can fight from the outside too, like you said. And uh, you have the win of Mike Trezano. He was a pretty big underdog uh, against Ludovic Klein. Did that get your juices flowing a little bit, have, seeing his success? Fuck yeah, man. That got me so pumped up, man. That was a, that was a huge win for our team and Man, that got me so ready to go for Saturday night. I can't wait to feel what he's feeling right now. Yeah, absolutely. And and how heavy has the rotation been for the the Food Network in your hotel? It's on right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's on right now. Well, hopefully it's not too distracting from our interview. But uh... no, it's all good. I saw this episode already. Actually, it's guys, grocery games. Guy Fieri, if you if you're listening out, man, you got to get me on a show or something. Uh, we'll see if we can get uh, we can get that arranged. I'll uh, I'll flip uh, his contact to your uh, to your management and we can we can okay. set that guy up. That's it. Besides fighting and tattoos, man, food is like my other passion. I love I love food, bro. Well, you're about to have a new passion: parenting. You just became a father two weeks ago. You barely seen your daughter, uh, Grace Michelle, born just two weeks ago, and uh, here you are in Houston, uh, away from them. So uh, I imagine you want to get this done pretty quickly and get home as fast as you can. Yeah, I already made a deal with my wife. I said I'm going to go out there. I'm going to get this fight done in the first round. Um, be unscathed. I'm gonna hop on a plane. I'm gonna leave that leave Houston uh, Saturday night. I'll be back home middle of the night on uh, on Sunday, or technically uh, Sunday middle of the night. Yeah. So, so you want to get back? I guess uh, fairly quickly. Do you already have a flight booked? Uh, for... I have a flight. No, I have the flight booked. They, they 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 couldn't book it right after the fight because they're like they don't know what's gonna happen. You have any injuries? So they didn't book it for 7 a.m. But I told my wife I was like, if anything, I'll just book. I'll, I'll do it myself. Yeah, well, I, I mean, that's uh, the priority, obviously. So uh, has this been really hard for you this week? I mean, I, I'm sure you're getting on FaceTime and all that, but uh, yeah. it's, it's, it must be a little bit of a distraction. Uh, the, being away is, is, is taking the distraction away from it. And my wife is she's, – she's awesome, man. She's so good with it. Uh, but, but honestly, my, my daughter, my other, first daughter, she's four years old now, and she's really, she's really missing me. And that, that's breaking my heart a little bit. Like, she's calling me, and she's crying. And man, it, it, as much as it's, like – it's nice to hear how much your daughter loves you. It's like, oh man, I'm, I'm the reason why she's sad because I'm I'm away. Like, uh, it crushes me. Well, you've been away. You, uh, I guess, haven't fought in about a year. Does she remember your last fight? Because I mean, no. I guess between three and four, you don't often remember that much. Yeah, she doesn't really understand. This is the first fight where she kind of understands what's going on a little bit. So it's a, it's a little bit weird. It's a little bit of adjustment. We're kind of figuring out how to tell her because you don't want to scare her. And, I, and I'll never have her at one of my fights or anything like that. I don't I don't really want her around during fight week because uh. Right now, I'm in. I'm not in dad mode. I'm in ready to kill mode. You know what I mean. So I don't want her to, to see me like this. So it, it's a little bit of an adjustment period. When you fought Cub, your wife was there with you. Is this the first fight of yours that she hasn't been to? This is the first fight that she hasn't been to since she was my girlfriend. Yeah. 
Okay, so it's a little bit different for her too, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. Have you started getting yeah. the calls about how hard it is at home with two kids? <laughs> yes. Yep. 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 But she's like, man, I can't give her enough props. I really can't. I've been saying in every interview, like she's awesome. Yeah, I uh, I had a lot of that on the road too, especially with three kids at home. <laughs> you get oh, the yeah. call, and it's like, oh, everything's everything's going downhill here very quickly. Yep. Mom, like, <laughs> props to moms because I could never be a stay-at-home mom. All the props in the world, all the moms out there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, for this this fight against uh, Edson, of course, uh, like I mentioned, you're probably a pretty big fan of his style. What do you think is the difference between him at featherweight versus him at lightweight? Uh, you know, of course, outside of just having to be a little bit lighter during fight week. I think that's the biggest difference is that he has to cut more weight and it's more of a, it, 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 even if he says it goes smooth, it's it's harder. It's 100% going to be harder for him to make 145 pounds compared to 155 pounds. This is not boxing where you got like seven pound weight classes and five pound weight classes. Ten pounds is a lot. Uh, is a lot different. And he only did it twice so far, so this is going to be his third time doing it. So I think that that j- just having to get down to that weight is and the the process of fight week is going to be completely different than like when he fought at lightweight. And I guess it's kind of strange seeing him and Aldo both move down late in their career. I mean, Aldo especially. A lot of people said, oh, he has such trouble making 45, and then he moved down yeah. to bantamweight. And these guys are in the basically the, the tail end of their careers doing this. It's, pretty, uh, it's A, pretty impressive, and also pretty gutsy, I would say. For, 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 for Edson, I'm surprised that he, that he was able to make it because I've met him before, and he looks like a big guy. He's so I was like, make 45. But I met Aldo, too, and I was like, I was always surprised. I used to fight at 35 when I was an amateur, and I met Aldo. And I was like, this guy has trouble making 45. And I was like, I got th- four, four inches on him. I was like, how does he have trouble making 45? I just don't think that Aldo, because he, he stayed in Brazil the whole time. And I don't think he really knew how to cut weight properly until the end of his career. What do you see uh, the future of the 45 division holding? You know, if you were to script out the, I guess, from now till the end of the year, how do you think the top of the uh, the ladder is going to look? I think you're going to see, I'm not, I'm not sure who's going to win between all, all Ortega and Volkanovski. I'm, I'm going to lean towards Volkanovski on that one. And then I think you'll see the, the trilogy with Max and him at the end of the year, probably the end of the year card. Is Holloway and kind I, of a dream fight for you? I mean, you guys fight so similarly. They, they all are, man. Holloway, he, he, right now, I think, even though he, Volkanovski beat him twice, man, that last one was so close that he's still that he's still that guy at 145. I mean, everybody's still going to be chasing him. And I don't think he's going to be fighting at 45 unless it's for a belt anyways, so... When I do fight him, yeah, that, that's the dream fight because it's going to be from the belt. When you saw that last fight between Cater and Holloway, I imagine you watched it because you watch it pretty much every fight. Uh, what was your reaction to that? Because uh, you rarely see fights like that in uh, in the UFC. Yeah, that was impressive, especially knowing how good Cater is. I've been in there with Cater too, so the, the dude's got legit boxing. And, uh, Max was just he was on he was on his game that night. He was he was on a different he was firing on all cylinders. He looked he looked great that night. I guess uh, the other kind of piece of this division that is a little bit uncertain is Zabit, who apparently is going to go and have surgery and might not return, might, might retire. Uh, yeah. what, what do you make of that? And, and his career really as, as a whole in the UFC? Man, I don't know. If, if it's something serious uh, health-wise, then I, I wish him the best. I don't want anyone to have to retire for health reasons. That, 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 that fucking sucks. And definitely don't, I hope it's something neurological at least. But uh, yeah, it's, it's weird because he's a top guy. He's been a top guy for a while, for a while now, but he hasn't fought in over two years now. So it's, it's, it's weird. I mean, if he... If he retires on his own accord because he's ready to retire, that, that's cool. But I hope it's not uh, health-related, at least. No, I hate asking you to step out of fight mode into fan mode and, and talk about uh, what else is going to be happening on the card. I feel like I should be interviewing you outside of fight week so that we can really not get the, the true fanboy uh, <laughs> experience with you. But uh, oh, Let's rather talk about other fights than my own fight. I talk about my fight fucking 24-7 versus spot. So you got other questions for me about other fights? I'm down for that, too. All right. I won't, I won't mention the name Barboza again for the rest of the interview. we got a deal. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So Oliveira versus Chandler, and that's a great fight. I, I, I love this fight, and I think it's, uh, if, if you're a fan of MMA, even though these guys aren't necessarily household names, it's an awesome main event. Uh, how do you like this one? Uh, I got to go with my boy Chandler. Uh, I'm a big Oliveira fan, too. The dude's super dangerous. He's super, super well-rounded. But, um, man, Chandler, I'm just a big Chandler fan, man. That's my favorite fighter right now, him and Dustin, which is funny because they're both fight at 55. Those are my two two favorite fighters right now. But, uh. I'm gonna go with Chandler by a second round TKO. I think I think he's actually gonna gonna. I, I, I haven't asked him. I don't want to ask his game plan, but I do think he's gonna wrestle with Oliveira to get Oliveira's hands to drop, and then in the second round fake takedown and come with the overhand right or a big left hook. So I think uh, Chandler in the second round. I'm not sure wrestling's a good idea against Oliveira. I mean, you, you see the guy's arsenal. He can do so many things off of his back. I don't think he's gonna wrestle with the intent to grapple. I think he's gonna wrestle with the intent just to take him down, maybe let him back up, maybe play in his guard for a couple seconds, and then get back up. But Chandler's not. It's not like he's going to get going to the guard and it's over. He, he's done. You know what I'm saying? Like, the, 
he knows what he's doing on the ground too. And it's not that easy to just put somebody in an armbar, put somebody in a triangle. Don't get me wrong, Charles Oliveira is the guy. He, he, he's the man at that shit. But we can't sleep on 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 Chandler acting like he's going to be a walk in the park on the ground. Also worth noting, he trains with Gilbert Burns day in and day out. I mean, it's not like he's training with exactly. guys who don't know the ground. <laughs> Gilbert, one seventy pounder, huge, phenomenal jiu-jitsu. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm I'm really looking forward to that one uh, for that reason. Yeah. I mean, Charles, I mean, I always wonder what his mentality is because nobody likes getting taken down and uh, and controlled. But I feel like he almost welcomes it because he knows all the, all of the different tools that he has off his back. Yeah, the dude, he really came into his own because uh, when he first started out in the UFC, I was high on him, and then he kind of fizzled out a little bit. But now he's coming back, and yeah, the dude, dude, spent on the roll. You see how a guy like that is doing at 155. A guy like Hooker's doing at 155. I'm sure the weight cut is not easy for you. Do you ever think about maybe dabbling, dipping your foot in the water? Oh, for sure, a hundred, one hundred percent. I'm not. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. I'm getting older. I'm getting bigger. Um, yeah, it's definitely going to happen. Maybe, maybe sooner rather than later. But I'm at number nine right now at 45. I'm going to push as hard as I can to get this title fight and uh, go from there. But I, I definitely see 155 in my future. Do you think this weight cut will be a big determining factor for that? For me? Yeah, well, just just on on whether you want to go to 155 sooner or la- sooner rather than later, depending on. I mean, each fight, each yeah. weight cut, I'm sure is very different. Yeah, normally I would, but this one is going like alarmingly smooth, and I'm actually ahead of schedule. So right now, no. But I, I, I really think this is going to be one of my best weight cuts. And how about uh, Tony versus Benil Darius? That's a fun fight, man. That's that's going to be really fun. That's a, that's just one of those like uh, shit. They both like to do spinning shit. They both like to do crazy shit off the off the ground. They both have great jujitsu. I'm going to go with Benil though. I think Benil is going to get a, either a third round finish or decision. Not a great matchup for Tony. I mean, I, f- I feel like it's a weird fight for Tony to take yeah. because he. I feel like he could have been a little bit more strategic with what he wanted to do. And you, you got a guy that uh, has really improved the striking, that, that likes the pressure. It's kind of the, the things that he has run into recently. And then when it gets to the ground, I mean, Benil's a wizard. Yep, exactly. It's not an easy fight by any means. But at the, at the, on the other hand, who the hell else was Tony going to fight, right? Like who? And, and then for the UFC, I, I can see why they're doing this to, to push Benil because if Benil wins this one, that's, that's a huge win for him too. Um, I don't know. I don't. Who else would Tony afford if he didn't fight him? You know what I'm saying? After this fight, maybe he'll have a little bit more options. If he loses, if he wins, then he's right back in the title mix, though. Yeah, I guess you're right. I, right now, there's not a, a whole lot of um, a, you know matchups at the very top of that division that aren't already spoken for. And, I, and you're not going to rematch him with Gaethje. Gaethje's the one guy I guess that doesn't have a fight right now, and he's got zero people that I would match him up with right now that aren't already matched up. That's true. That's true. Uh, yeah, maybe Gaethje will fight the winner of this one. Actually, that makes sense. I mean, not the winner. If if, if the winner's Benio. Yeah, or, or possibly the winner of this championship fight. I mean, uh, maybe they get yeah. one in sooner before the, the Connor fight, uh, you know, have one lined up right around the time Connor fights Dustin. How do you think that one's going to go, the, uh, the trilogy fight? I'm going with, uh, with Dustin again on that one. Dustin, Dustin looked great in that second fight, and uh, I think he's going to make adjustments too because everyone's talking about Connor making adjustments, but I think Dustin's going to make adjustments too, and I think he's going to switch the game plan up a little bit too. And uh, I think uh, Dustin gets the win. I'm just not sure if it'll be a finish. If it is a finish, I can see a later finish. I was uh, not gonna, I was surprised he got a second round finish. That's pretty early. If I, if I thought he was going to get a finish, I thought it would be because his cardio and his wear, the wear and tear he's going to put on Connor over the fight. So I think for the rematch, I think he either gets that late finish or decision. It's so weird that people don't talk about the fact that Dustin can make adjustments. Yeah, it's it's. I've been saying this whenever I'm asked about this fight. Oh, Connor's gonna have time to to figure out the calf kicks. Yeah, and Dustin's gonna have time to figure something else out, right? Like he figured out the calf kicks for the last fight, and now we've exactly. got another one coming up. Now he's gonna focus on doing something else, and then you, I mean, like, come on, guys, it's, it's a two way street. And Connor did, did did some good things in that first fight too. That that Dustin has to adjust to. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm looking forward to that one as well, uh, of course, and. Uh, Let's let's really put the hat on for a second. Francis Ngannou versus John Jones. How would that go? I, I'm eager to hear what your answer for that is. It's hard for me to pick against John Jones because the dude. It's hard. It's kind of hard to pick against him just because of his body of work, obviously. But Francis Ngannou at heavyweight is just he's a different monster. With that being said, I still think John Jones would get that win, and I I would see it by honestly. I think I think he can get a submission. I think he'll be able to take him down, make Francis make a, a, a mistake trying to get up and expose his neck or expose something and be able to, to, to catch on to that. So I, I would go with Jones by, by submission in that fight. And we need that fight to happen. Um, give me an update on some of your teammates. Jimmy Rivera, uh, Lyman Good, uh, Julio Arce. I know we just saw uh, Mike Trezano in action. What's going on with, the, with your guys? I don't, there are so many fights lined up right now. I'm having trouble keeping up. Yeah, no, nothing booked for Jimmy or Lyman right now as of yet. But uh, Julio got some fight news yesterday. I, he didn't tell me who it is yet. 
So don't ask, but he got some fight news, so you should expect to see Julio back in the cage real soon at 135 pounds too, which 35 is beyond notice because that motherfucker is a motherfucker. He's so good. Yeah, for for a guy that smiles in a way that he does it, it just amazes, yeah. amazes me that he's able to do what he's able to do in the cage. He just comes off as such like a, a happy-go-lucky guy. Is He is that happy-go-lucky guy, man. That's the crazy part. Like, even when we're sparring or something, he always he'll have, like, a smile on his face. I'm like, stop smiling. Why punch me? <laughs> well, uh, looking forward to his return. It's been a while since we've seen Julio. Yeah, he had to, he had to get uh, some surgeries done, but uh, he's good to go now. Yeah, the injury bug kind of bit your camp, I guess, for a little bit. I, I mean, Mike's been out for a while. You've been out for almost a year. Um, and I know you got injured right before you were, you know, leading yep. up to the, the proposed fight with Hakeem. Um, what's, what's going on? You guys just pushing each other too hard? No, I, I, man, I got COVID in the beginning of that fight camp. And that was just, it was like a snowball effect. It was just one thing after another. Like every week was almost every week with a, a new injury or something nagging. I was like, this is getting fucking ridiculous now. So knock on wood. I mean, this has been a great camp when it comes to injuries. All right, well, it's a pleasure catching up with you as always, Shane. Uh, best of luck against Edson. Looking forward to oh, I said I wasn't going to mention Edson, but you, you'll have to forgive me. Against the okay. Brazilian guy who's really great at striking, uh, against yourself who's really great at striking, we're looking forward to the People's Main event this Saturday. Oh, man, I appreciate it. Thanks for talking to me, man. A big thank you to our guests, UFC President Dana White, Michael Chandler, Kayla Harrison, and Shane Burgos for joining us on the TSN MMA show. Might be getting some time with Tony Ferguson, so keep your eyes po- uh, peeled for this, uh, the feed, I'll post that up as a, an individual podcast if I do get some time with Tony today. I'm not sure if that's going to happen. We're going to see. But uh, for the meantime, enjoy these interviews. Uh, well, I guess I hope you have enjoyed these interviews. I don't think you're fast-forwarding to the uh, last minute of the show to hear my uh, extra versus listening to the interviews. That would be naive of me to believe that. So I hope you enjoyed these. Plenty more to come next week. And I uh, really appreciate you tuning in each and every week. And I uh, would also appreciate it if you went and rated and reviewed the show on iTunes or wherever you get the podcast. Uh, it's the one thing that I ask in return for this uh, this wonderful program. Thank you for tuning in. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.